Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, data decision-making gets a tune-up in time for the president's management agenda. And the future of the Department of Veterans Affairs is in the cloud. It's Monday, July 25th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Salonis. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget's guidance for fiscal 2024 budget planning includes three cyber priorities. OMB Director Shalonda Young and National Cyber Director Chris Inglis write the three items agencies should plan for in their 24 requests include defense and resilience of networks, critical infrastructure cross-sector collaboration, and strengthening the digitally enabled future. The memo from Young and Inglis says both OMB and the Office of the National Cyber Director will review agency plans when they submit them. Partnerships will help the United States win information-based competitions, according to the new commander of the Air Force's Information Warfare Unit. Lieutenant General Kevin Kennedy says those partnerships are, quote, a key activity in competing against adversaries. Kennedy took over the 16th Air Force July 21st. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Nominations are open now for the 2022 edition of the FedScoop 50. We want you to nominate leaders in the federal IT community. You can read more about how to nominate someone through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new update on the president's management agenda includes progress on each of the three pillars of the agenda. One of the elements of success of the PMA is data. Chris Radich is vice president of solution engineering for public sector at Salonis. Salonis sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What are what are leaders across government using data for to determine how successful they are or aren't when it comes to achieving management success? Welcome. Thank you so much, Francis. Always a pleasure. And thank you to the public servants out there. Been serving this market for 17 years and uh, it's not an easy job and it seems to only get harder. So the the concept of being data-driven, I think to date has been mostly focused on unlocking data sets and exposing them via APIs and leveraging data in government to provide value. I think one reason that I'm so excited about uh, being here at Salonis is process mining is a new technology, which isn't just about exposing data that might have value. It's about mining data in your enterprise to drive unique insights about business processes and how they're running. So it's a bit of a different, I, I'd say, focus area that I'm focused on now. But rather than just reporting and data sets, it's also how can you how can you truly get insights and improve operations within your agency? Yeah, I wish I could remember who the data expert was in government, geez, 10 or 12 years ago when uh, started talking about data in government. And this person said to me, the idea will be to get to a state where we can ask data questions and it will give us the answers that we're looking for. And then beyond that, help us to understand what questions we should ask. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're on the cusp of, Chris. Is that the fair statement? I love that. You know, I love that statement. And dashboards have certainly, with COVID-19, some of the CDC dashboards and, and other data sets where you're driving real decisions and asking questions to your point, designing dashboards around providing better insights. 
what I'm what I'm kind of saying is taking that to the next level. And rather than just having reports and and uh, analytics that you can sift through, this is sifting through process data, founding in, a, in an agency's transactional system, your ERP, your other mission systems, and within there, there's a gold mine of data. It's not it's not the structured data that that you build a dashboard off of and release to the public. So this will give you every step and variance in the process. For example, with acquisitions, why are you having blocked purchase orders? Why is there improper payments being released to vendors? Process mining is a whole new way of thinking about it. And I think you, you kind of started off with an interesting point. Is this a chief data officer technology? Is this a tool in the toolkit of the CDO? And I think it just very well may be as we see policy progress and focus more about how can we improve op operations with data. Give me an example of an outcome that one can achieve, that an agency can achieve by applying this concept, Chris. Yeah, I love I love uh, showing this this outcome. It's a it's a large government procurement organization, uh, one of the largest in the world. And recently, we ran a process X-ray it showed tremendous amount of low value work. You know, we wanna move from low value work to high value work in government. If we can achieve that, we improve government. I mean, that's the answer. So we found over 4 million hours in human capital was used to rework block purchase orders. And then the next step is let's automate and trigger actions to allow that human capital be, to be redeployed to higher value work. I mean, we're talking big numbers here in the billions of dollars of savings, in the billions of dollars of human capital we can redeploy. Yeah, that's what moves the needle is is when you can scale this. You know, a lot of the issues that we've had with automation so far in government, they've done great things. But finding that scale to really transform the way a, a whole agency operates, for example, has been maybe elusive to to. Uh, strong of a word, but we haven't seen those huge gains on that scale yet that it sounds like you're talking about, Chris. Not yet. And some of it is, have we have we had the technology to look? Um, have we had the focus in certain back office functions to look as, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the focus has been on CX improvement. Mm -hmm. And we should feel great about that. But operational efficiency, some of the shared services agenda has been pushed to the side as a result of this renewed focus on CX. So there are four specialties that I focus on in the federal government's human capital, IT, management, especially financial management and acquisition. It sounds like this touches this concept touches all four of those areas of expertise. It does. It absolutely does. Um, the, the the acquisition one is certainly drives all three other pillars. I think human capital, we've we've attempted ways to drive down institutional knowledge risk. I've said it, I've said it many times over the last month. It's the greatest risk to government in terms of delivering your mission. When you think about the turnover rate of at all levels of government employees leaving government it's at its highest rate ever and continues to escalate on the it side we have pressures with how do we ensure 
systems transformations that are successful. We have an 80% failure rate, according to McKinsey. Uh, and then on the management side, it's kind of how do we leverage all of these different chess pieces in a smart way? So you nailed it. And um, it's just about getting started, looking at the problem a different way, looking at it from a process perspective and getting into the organization rather than maybe the thousand foot view that we're accustomed to looking at. When I first came into this space in about 2006, Chris, uh, one of my colleagues at the time talked about the retirement wave that people had been predicting since the late 90s that has never really materialized. I wonder if what you're suggesting, this loss of institutional knowledge, might be attributed to maybe a retirement stream that could be worse because you never see this huge group of people leave all at once where you go, oh gosh, we've got to prepare for this. And, and maybe we've gotten lulled into this idea, well, nobody's going to all leave at once so we can just kind of continue to tread water. And then we realize 15 years later that a lot of the brains that knew stuff about how this agency, this organization operates aren't here anymore. It's a, it's a real risk. I mean, the turnover rate is, is over 20% and is just going to grow. And I, I still remember going downtown. This is the days where in-person meetings were the norm to uh, a basement of a federal agency as a consultant to ultimately create a strategy for a major systems transformation project. This was a high impact service provider. And it was spend time with Jane for the next two days and learn about the system. And that is still where we are today. In some cases, it's a consultant or a contractor. Documentation is sparse. I mean, how can you, most documentation uh, specifications are, I'd say over 6,000 pages long, some up to 20,000 specifications. So gaining deep process understanding could be just a tremendous initiative and it aligns with the president's management agenda with uh, many policies out there but I just that that whole basement, it wasn't smoke filled at the time, <laughs> but that whole basement memory to me stands true today. It was at least healthy then, even if it, it wasn't necessarily successful <laughs> for the business outcome that both you and the agency were looking for. That, that policy piece of it, I think, is important, too, because it's. It, it's fine for somebody to have uh, an idea about how to change something, but it does have to, it, government's different than the private sector and then it has to align with established policies and practices. What is that intersection? What does that intersection look like at kind of a micro level, Chris? Yeah, there's, uh, I think, three policies that I've always been interested in and have, have narrowed in on as we think about generating deep process understanding and where we should apply. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. Coming on tomorrow's program, agencies fight each other for cyber talent. The former federal CIO, Suzette Kent, has some possible solutions. She'll tell you about them on the next Daily Scoop Podcast tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Department of Veterans Affairs is in the middle of a huge cloud transition. 
The agency has a goal to move about 350 applications to the cloud in the next two years. David Catanoso is acting director for application hosting cloud and edge solutions infrastructure operations in the Office of Information and Technology at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. A new job title there since the last time you and I talked. What's included in your new portfolio beyond just cloud stuff? Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, glad to be here. So our, in my new role, um, the goal really is to organize our hosting enterprise hosting platforms in a uh, more tightly knit group and to form a better uh, you know, cohesion between those groups to prevent a, a, present a more consistent and simplified solution to our customers within VA. The last time we talked was when you gave me that 350 application to the cloud goal by 2024. I note that you now have, uh, as of January, 130 applications in production in the cloud. And you said another 90 that are in flight and migrating to the cloud. It sounds like pretty good progress on that goal of, of about 350 in two years. Yeah, and we've actually accelerated since we spoke last. We're at, currently at 240 plus applications in the VAEC with another 150 in flight. So we're well on track to hit that target. What is driving that? How are you doing that? And, and take me back maybe to the beginning, to the strategy that you laid out when you and your team, your colleagues decided this is how you wanted to move forward. So our approach in the beginning was to, to really measure twice and sort of cut once and stand up some really good, highly scalable, built on the best practices of our two primary CSPs environments that we could move applications to. And, and the technology was never really the challenge. It was more getting the organization to understand the capabilities, deal with some of the acquisition and security uh, requirements that had to be met and, and satisfied. And as we got that done up front, so we're a little slow moving in the beginning to get those hurdles uh, overcome. But once we did that, you know, we started to build momentum. And, and during the pandemic, we made some very big moves to the cloud that demonstrated the capability in a, in a big way. And then that's just built built upon itself with leadership and everyone else just really pushing in the, in the direction of cloud modernization. Well, IT modernization and digital transformation, which the cloud is a big part of and makes a lot easier. So it's, it's kind of a combination effort of those things all coming together at the same time. Was it easy to identify those hurdles that you just referred to, Dave? Were they self-evident or did you have to dig in and say, why is this not going as well as we would like it to? Well, I think they were they were self-evident. The solutions weren't so clear. Like, how do we get past them? But it was clear that, you know, organizational change is difficult in any large organization. You know, when you make a big change like this, then you've got, you know, new, new technology paradigm you're trying to move to, uh, which has to get folks to understand the benefits and, and you know, there's training required and, and mindset shifts. So there was a lot of that. And then there's just policy and procedures that had to be adapted and, and interpreted in a way that made it possible to, uh, to leverage the cloud. What's the scope here? 350 applications sounds like a ton, but if you have 5,000 applications, I don't know. Um, We've but- got a little over 1,000 applications in our, in our VASI system, which is our system, system of record for our major, major applications at the VA. And so you know, we set that 350 target at the beginning of our journey because we thought that was a reasonable target to, to hit. We may look at revising that as we move forward. I mean, the goal here is to do IT modernization in the most sensible way possible. And, and then once we get something in the cloud, we don't want to just stop. We want to keep continue to modernize and mature the use of the cloud technology with containerizations. We've got a new containerization platform, VA platform one we're building that's going to enable development teams to move faster and move more agilely um, with some with more automation than they do currently today. Um, we've got other use, cloud, use of cloud native technologies 
and things. As the cloud service providers continue to push the envelope, we want to take advantage of those capabilities and get more and more mature in our usage of those tools. Tell me about VA Platform One, because that sounds like, at least from the name of it, like what the Air Force is doing with the cloud. It's very similar. The idea is that we would have a, a enterprise container orchestration platform that would span not only our cloud environments, but also our on-prem infrastructure to kind of make it seamless and help with migration. Um, and it'll also help our development teams get a consistent the development environment out of the box and more auto provisioned more automatically and more standardized to give them some flavors to work with. Um, and so that's kind of the idea to give better governance over the use of containers as well. It'll also prove cost efficiency. As you, as you know, with container technology, you can, you can get more, you can squeeze more out of the underlying infrastructure uh, as well. What's the genesis of that and the timeline that platform one is on? When did you start to develop it? When do you expect it to be mature and doing all of the things you wanted to do? Well, it's, it's it's mature enough now that we're trying to move applications to it. The first few applications have landed in production and that that we that that's part of that count that I gave. We consider that part of our migration strategy. And uh, we're going to start to see that accelerate over the coming months. So you're moving about a third of your applications to the cloud, at least for the time being. How do you determine which ones are appropriate to move and which ones should stay where they are? So in the early days, it was, you know, more of finding the the, the willing and, and applications that were ready, right, that, that either had a, a compelling need and, and a team that was ready and, and open to that concept. Um, now that we've proven it, it's, we're getting more mature about how we, we look at the whole data centers we might want to rationalize or, or suites of applications we want to move together with our, our different portfolios and health and benefits, et cetera. So, you know, that that process is evolving how we select the apps. Again, it was early days. It was more find the ones that we get the most bang for our buck and we're easiest to take on um, in an in a organizational sense. In some ways, we did it the opposite. We took some of our biggest, most difficult applications, moved them right away, which was good because it gave us that proof of concept that the cloud will work and that helped us gain momentum. And now that we've got the experience, we're looking at you know higher orders of uh, strategy in terms of how we attack the applications. We've I love that term, rationalizing data centers. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be kind of ironic to think about the fact that that's where we are in the technology world today, when probably, at the, you know, when I first started to follow technology, you first started to practice it, um, rationalizing the cloud would have been the kind of the posture that an organization like yours would take, right? Yep, it would be. Um, for example, we have a regional data center on the West Coast that we decided we needed to, uh, it was a lease that was ending and we needed to move our IT uh, operations out of that data center. And one of the things we did is we had a lot of our legacy health uh, systems, Vista, hosted in that environment. We've subsequently moved all those to our VA Enterprise Cloud. We've got three more to go. Uh, those will be done by the end of the, the calendar year. Um, and that, so for that's an example of us attacking a location uh, versus, uh, you know, finding a single app to move. Vista is an interesting case because it, ideally for the Department of Veterans Affairs, will have an end of life. Uh, it, it, the organization obviously would like to replace it with the Genesis system. What implication does that have, if any, about how you decide how you're going to host or, or operate a particular application? Does that make any so difference? Right. Well, sir, sure, for sure. example, of Vista, that is eventually going to have a, a different footprint in the future as, as we migrate to the Cerner platform over time. And, and there, there are still some rational, some pieces of it may have to remain because it, there's a, there's a, a I say a gap, but a difference in features that are provided, but it's definitely going to be a lot different. And so as we as we migrate more and more of our, our medical centers to Cerner, we're going to need to make sure that the Vista system scales accordingly downward, but yet still maintains that capability for those centers that are 
using it today to provide or at the, in the current time to provide service to veterans right so it's a it's a delicate balance but but both equally important yeah, it's interesting. I remember I did an event at um, the AFCA Health IT Day with Scott Blackburn when he was the CIO there. And he said uh, on that stage that the VA, I think this was 2014 or 2015, something like that. And he said the VA would be supporting Vista for the next 10 years. And people went, oh my God, 10 more years are going to be. And in, in hindsight, it strikes me as tremendously wise that that's the preparation the agency was making. Yeah, we take obviously care of veterans very seriously. So we, that's a critical system in that our, today, our primary system is we move to the Cerner system. And so we have to make sure that's fully operational and supported. At the same time, we want to position it in a platform that's scalable. So as we wind it down, we're transitioned over, we can scale down the infrastructure and the costs associated with that. So it's while it remains performant at the same time, right? What have you seen as far as actual outcomes to end use, whether they're internal customers within the agency or veterans that you're caring for in one of the three areas of VA, what are some places where you've seen the cloud really deliver results, whether it's faster, more efficient, um, lower cost experience, whatever? We've seen all those, but I think the biggest example of that is it, it launched during the pandemic, which was our telemedicine environment, where we where we had to rapidly scale that up to ridiculously high levels of usage almost overnight. And so we, in a parallel effort where on-prem teams worked as quickly as possible to expand out the on-prem capacity we had for that, it was called CARE. As at the same time, we duplicated the environment in our AWS cloud called CARE2. And we went from doing, you know, February before the pandemic, we were doing maybe 25,000 or so sessions a month um, of telemedicine, right? Within a matter of six months, we were doing 40,000 sessions a day, right? And we were able to do that largely because of that expansion push, both on-prem and in the cloud. And, and it worked so well that now we're, we're in almost at the end of a project to move all of it to the cloud. And so that'll be in another month or so, that'll be complete. We'll be using all of our telemedicine to come out of our care two environment. And what sense do you have of how that's going to stick? And what's the technology implication for how you need to continue to build the infrastructure of the agency, anticipating that there's probably a lot of those vets that are not going to want to go back to having to drive to the facility if they don't have to, right, Dave? Yeah, some of the, the that's a VHA question in terms of how they they operate the, the VHA. So I won't want to go there, but I would say that from a technology aspect, that the, the operation of that type of technology in the cloud is going to stick because it just the, the scalability and, and the and the ability to handle the cloud distribution, you know, content distribution network networking capabilities of the CSP versus having to build our own networks to handle that traffic is is a huge benefit, right? So from a technology standpoint, I think the the way we're approaching it is is going to be solid. And VHA, obviously, I think we've all talked about the fact that you know. The veterans have learned a new way of, of getting service, and even our, our clinicians are, are finding it beneficial. So it's it's a win-win, and it's going to change the way we operate, I'm sure, but that's not really my wheelhouse to talk sure, about. Sure, no, and it. I understand that, but from the technology perspective, it strikes me, you and your colleagues are thinking through how are we going to support the provision of all of these services, not just now and not just a year from now, but what does this look like for the foreseeable future and how, especially regarding the pandemic, how has the way that the veterans that you all serve uh, 
how have has the way they want to consume those services changed in order for you to think through how you're going to be able to do it and then what the infrastructure is that's required to do so that's kind of what i'm where i was headed yeah so i, I guess maybe the way to describe that would be our digital transformation efforts under mr delbeni our new cio we've we've got a focus on improving the way we deliver services to veterans and providing them a, a, a experience similar to what what they would get at any commercial environment they're used to dealing with outside the government right so we're pushing to, to achieve excellence in many areas and transform our, our IT operations to do that. So Edge Solutions is in the new title that you have, Dave. And I've talked to a number of people inside uh, the Department of Defense about what edge computing means there, means to the warfighter and so on. Similar implication for the State Department and for USAID. What does edge computing and edge solutions mean in the Department of Veterans Affairs? It strikes me that those VHA facilities, um, it, that's obvious, but I'm sure that's not the only uh, example. Yeah, we're just at the beginning of our process of defining what the edge could mean in, t in total to the agency, but certainly the VHA facilities are, are one where actually one of the solutions for that uh, data center consolidation I mentioned on the West Coast is to use a, a, an outpost device from Amazon to take care of some latency challenges we have with a couple of those medical centers that are out in the Pacific, Honolulu and Manila, for example. So we're exploring that as a technology edge there. Um, but, you know, the edge could potentially... Uh, push out into monitoring devices in a veteran's home or, or, or monitoring of our facilities themselves with uh, H, you know, HVAC and power and things like that with Internet of Things. So there's lots of capabilities. Uh, and so even medical devices are going to, over time, I'm imagining they're going to become more monitorable even in the hospital that they will be considered Internet of Things as well. So there's a lot of edge capability that we're just now beginning to take a look at and how we can really, you know, transform our data centers into being true cloud edges as opposed to, you know, maybe thinking that we would compete with Amazon or Azure. How do you decide when it's the time is right to integrate those into the way that you think about edge computing? We have to work really closely with our, our customers in VHA. I mean, they're the clinicians and the ones that are responsible and, and the experts in patient care. And so they're going to drive us in that direction in terms of, you know, which ones they want us to support and when. It's our job to be ready to support them when they are when they need that support, right? So set up our networks and our environments and our cloud infrastructure. So we're there when they when they get to the point where they, they've got something they need to do for the veteran. As you have undertaken this journey, Dave, what, what did you learn in the process of it that you didn't expect at the beginning? Surprises is maybe too strong a word, but I imagine there were things that cropped up as a result of this progression that you didn't see coming. I guess when we were in the very beginning of this uh, journey, there was a lot of concern that we would, would be difficult to move most of our apps to the cloud, that there would be a lot of things we couldn't migrate. There were just so many unique things, the VA, that it would be just almost impossible to move a lot of it to the cloud. And probably the, the pleasant surprise would be that well, actually that's the opposite is true. Most everything we've moved, we've had we've moved well, and it's it's moved easier than we thought, right? Once, once we came, overcame the challenge that the to decide to move something, right? Um, but once we did, it, we've found in almost every case, as a matter of fact, every case that we've moved it successfully. What do you think is the reason for that? Is there some kind of prep work that you did? Is there some kind of partnership that you had or what that made that the case? Because that's not what I've heard all across government. Not everybody has that level of success. I, th I think some of it has to do with the prep work working in advance to set up an environment that was structured properly to receive the applications and meet all the VA requirements at the same time. We didn't just throw something in the cloud and see what would happen. We literally looked at all the VA requirements for security and, and compliance and those kinds of things and built an, a, a landing area or landing zone in the cloud that would be compatible and speed up that. Uh, capability. And then the second thing is is really the, the, the staff, right? 
VA operates one of the largest IT infrastructures on the planet. So regardless of whether it's our on-prem or now our new cloud environment, we have very talented staff. And so teamwork was the second thing. Once, you know, sometimes it was hard to get the teams rowing in the right same direction, but once we got everybody rowing at a given project in the same direction, the, the expertise and, and the power of the staff really came to bear. And it's also the mission, right? We have, we're, we're blessed with a mission that's easy to focus on, right? I mean, everybody at the VA is committed to serving the veteran. Many of our, six over 60% of our IT staff are veterans or have family members that are veterans or some connection to, to the, the veteran community. And we're very committed to that mission. And so easy, it's easy to motivate people in that environment. I understand that 350 apps is not the point, that the mission that you just described is the point, and I think that's terrific. The number is easy for me to measure, and so I wonder what the timeline looks like. And and again, not so much about the number, but what's the capability that you want to continue to drive? If we have this conversation a year from now, a year and a half, I think was the last time that you and I talked, where would you like to be at that point in time, Dave? Uh, I I don't want to get into what percentage of apps and sure. what, what location or anything like that, but I think the most important thing is for us to be able to have increased agility and increase the speed of innovation to deliver capabilities to the veteran. And if we can achieve that, regardless of the mix of technology that we do it with, and we can provide a, operational excellence in terms of reliability and, and resiliency, so that there's you know there's no interruption in service, those are the kinds of things we want to drive to. And as long as we're doing those things, the, the percentage mix is not as important. Dave Catanoso, the Department of Veterans Affairs, thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You can read more about the VA's cloud and digital journeys in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast is back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.